I'm Sara Vieira, and this is the Code Sandbox Podcast. The key to success to any developer relations problem is removing friction from getting started with something and using it in your product. With Code Sandbox, you can skip the setup steps and code and deliver better experience for developers that will grow your community. There is a lot to cover today. So we have two guests this week. First, I'm going to talk to Peggy Raises. She's the engineering manager over the developer experience organization at Apollo. And this includes the DevRel and the education teams. Later on, I'll talk to Jingyu Chen. She's a front-end developer at Shopify and a former developer advocate at Nexmo. We'll discuss how her work as a community organizer, a developer, and a developer advocate prepared her for developer relations. Hello, Peggy. It's nice to see you again. It's so great to see you, Sarah. It's been way too long. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Like, what do you do? What makes you, you? Absolutely. So my name is Peggy Razis, and I am the Director of Developer Experience at Apollo. If you're not familiar with Apollo, we make tools to help developers be successful with GraphQL and to manage their data. My team's focus is to inspire and equip developers everywhere to be successful with Apollo. So I manage the managers of both the DevRel and the education teams. So we put on various events for developers, like our big GraphQL summit. We make sure that we have high quality documentation with each feature that we ship. We run our blog and produce really high quality content for developers on GraphQL. And then we also just launched our new learning platform, Odyssey. It's interactive video courses on Apollo and GraphQL. We just launched the platform like six weeks ago. The first course, Liftoff, it gives you a really gentle introduction to both the front end and the back end. So you build your first schema, you populate it with some mock data, you query it with Apollo Studio, and then you connect it to a React app. And the whole course is like under 30 minutes. How did you get started with coding? So I started my journey about six years ago or so. I was actually working at Macy's in merchandising. I was a buyer for bras and panties. And a lot of my role was creating spreadsheets and programming spreadsheets to run these like automated reports. And that was sometimes my favorite part of the job, just like tinkering around with that. And it really got me thinking like, hey, I, I like programming spreadsheets. Like maybe I would like programming websites too. So I did like a couple of like online tutorials and just really fell in love with it. And I would remember just like coming home from work and getting so excited to like do my coding tutorials. And that's kind of like what made me have that light bulb moment that like, hey, maybe this is like something that I should make my full-time career. So I decided to do a bootcamp program. I did Grace Hopper Academy. It's a three-month program for women inside uh, New York City. And it was a really awesome experience. I learned JavaScript. The bootcamp taught Angular there, but while I was there, I taught myself React. We learned a little bit of Node, kind of commu computer science fundamentals. And, you know, at the end of the program, they had kind of like employers come. We did like speed dating interviews and... <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. And that's uh, how I ended up at Major League Soccer and meeting Kurt, who now works for me at Apollo as, as the manager of the DevRel team. So it's funny how things come full circle there. But yeah, that's really how I, I got my start. 
Do you think that, like, from my experience, there's always a bit of developer relations or developer advocacy, whatever you want to call it, in open source engineering? Do you see that as well? Absolutely, because you could write the best software in the world, but if folks don't know how to use it, it's never going to be adopted. So things like documentation, tutorials, guides, being able to help folks adopt your software, all that communication stuff becomes so important. And without that, your open source project is never going to gain adoption in the way that you want. So I think sometimes folks like overestimate the coding part of the job and underestimate the communication. I think you really have to have both in order to have a successful open source project. You got to be able to give developers that magic moment within like five minutes of using the tool. That's why Code Sandbox is so great because you can throw a live working example into your documentation and developers can like tinker around and play with it. But unless folks kind of have that aha moment early on, they're just going to either get frustrated and want to punch their computer, like you said, or they're just going to find another tool that has better documentation and examples. Do you think that your experience as a developer, as a software engineer, helped you become a better developer uh, advocate? And like, in what ways do you think that that actually helped? I think it's really important as a developer advocate to always put yourself in the shoes of the developers that you're serving. And so I think like my experience at Major League Soccer, when I was there, we were a very small team and we had a lot of back end for front end services that would like take all of the data from these various like stats databases and content APIs and aggregate them into this like match object that then we would send to the the web app and the native apps and so we were maintaining all this code like writing all this like state management logic by hand it was like kind of a, a big pain and One day we're like, hey, like we've heard a lot about this GraphQL thing. Like maybe it would be a good idea if we just like test it out and see if it solves our needs because it seems like it would solve a lot of the problems that we're having. So we kind of like did a quick sprint on it and we're really able to be productive with it so quickly. Having that experience as a developer and being able to like really experience that like productivity boost firsthand has really given me a lot of energy into how I've performed my job at Apollo and been able to kind of like help developers experience that magic moment too. So I don't want to like gatekeep and say, oh, you have to be an engineer like before you're a developer advocate. I don't think that's true. I think there are a lot of like really awesome early career folks starting out who might have different specialties with producing video content or streaming or really great writers. And so they're able to be developer advocates without having that engineering experience first. But in my case, it was really helpful. And I'm really glad that I had that experience because it allowed me to empathize so much more with the developer community that I'm serving. How did you define success as a developer advocate? Yeah, so I think this is like universally a really tricky problem to solve. And like other folks in DevRel that I've talked to, like no matter how large or small your team is, this is something that everybody struggles with. You really kind of have to look, okay, like what are the business goals and like how is DevRel uniquely equipped to help with that? Some of the ways that we measure success is just 
is our content helping developers adopt Apollo? So we're looking at monthly active users and we talk a lot about like the GraphQL journey, right? Like the things that a developer needs when they're just starting out on their GraphQL journey are pretty different than the things a developer would need if you know they've been doing GraphQL for maybe like three years and they're they're working in a large enterprise and they're trying to like onboard more teams to the graph. So it's really understanding like what are the pain points in each stage of the journey and what features does Apollo have to like help alleviate uh, those developer pain points. And so we try to tailor our content to like each journey stage, measure the success based on like, okay, did they adopt the feature that we were hoping they would adopt and setting up the data pipelines to track that. The other thing that we track is community growth. And so one of the things that we actually started doing last year, we partnered with a really awesome startup called Orbit. I highly recommend folks in DevRel check them out if you haven't already. They essentially take all of your data from GitHub, Twitter, they have integrations for Slack, Discourse, I believe as well. They also have an API. So like we feed our events data into Orbit and they give you really awesome metrics on how your community is growing. And so kind of their model is they think of like folks in your community as you are kind of like the center and the the developers are in your orbit and you want to try to pull them closer into your orbit by engaging with them, inviting them to events, rewarding them for their open source contributions, things like that. And so they have a really great framework for measuring that. And I highly suggest that other folks in DevRel check it out because it's been a huge boost to our productivity. We don't have like, you know, these separate Google Sheets that we're maintaining anymore to track all that stuff. It does it all for us. And the team has also been really phenomenal as well and super responsive to our feedback. Okay, so I think we're done with the questions today. We're also out of time. So I just want to ask you like, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, absolutely. I think Twitter is probably the, the fastest, easiest place to reach me. I'm at Peggy Raises there. And so if you ever have any GraphQL questions, developer advocacy, management life questions, feel free to contact me there. I get a lot of messages, so I can't promise that I will respond right away, but I will do my very best to try. Thank you so much for coming, Peggy. It has been so fun to talk to you. And it's been super interesting as well. I haven't talked to you in forever. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Next up, Sarah talks with Jing Chen from Shopify. More after the break. Hello, Jing. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm good. It's been a million years since I last saw you. So my name is Hui Jing, and uh, I'm a currently a front-end developer with Shopify. I joined them, it's almost coming up to a year now, so pretty happy with the, the work that I do. I'm based in Singapore at the moment. Because I'm in Singapore, the pandemic lockdowns and restrictions are not that bad. I can still go climbing. So oh, nice. that's the thing that I do a lot nowadays. In a past life, years ago, I used to play basketball full-time. That part of the conversation is not done because you said full time, but you didn't say that you represented the Malaysia national team. Oh, yes, yes. But that's a segue. How did you get started with coding? What was your first project? I was with the Malaysian national team for, for a bit when I was much younger. And so the way 
it works is that you train full time. You train once in the morning, you train once in the afternoon, but all the other time is yours. So we had a lot of downtime. I was the token IT person. For example, like my teammates would come and say, like, "Oh, the internet's not working. Oh, I can't get this printed. Oh, my computer won't turn on. I think I have a virus." And that was basically my job to fix everybody's IT problems. So my coach was—he was a considerably elderly gentleman, still very fit, but like I think at the time he was already about in his sixties, seventies. But he saw me with a computer, and his thought was like, "You're good with computers. Our association website hasn't been updated in a thousand years. Can you do something about it?" Like I was like, "Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I got nothing better to do with my life." And I did that. I was armed with the amazing skill of knowing how to press right-click and selecting inspect element. I also knew how to right-click and view source, and I also knew how to copy and paste. So armed with these exceptional skills, I proceeded to piece together a new website. In hindsight. In retrospect, I was the, like, if the website hadn't been updated in three years or however long, any I could have done anything. I could have like, I don't know, put up a picture of an elephant, and he'd be like, "Oh, great!" So he looked at the update. He was like, "Oh, that's pretty good. I want to add content to it." And I was like, "That was not in the original spec. What do you mean you want to <laughs> add more content? Like that was not in that was not the deal." I did a second version, but the long and short of it, I spent a lot of time doing this, and I had a roommate at the time, and she was like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you on your computer all the time?" I'm like, "I'm building the the website." She's like, "You're." Are you even getting paid for this? I'm like shush. But then I realized that I am spending an inordinate amount of time figuring this out, so I must like it somehow.、Uh, so that's how I got started. I know that before you were a UX developer or front end developer, you were a developer advocate. And was speaking a part of your job as a developer advocate? I think like one of the things that I learned about being a developer advocate is that speaking is is definitely part of it, because you are standing on. A, there are many ways to engage developers as a developer advocate, but like I think a fairly big part of it is you know being kind of public. I would say,、mm-hmm. and like conferences are events where you know people get to know you and then associate you with your. Company to a certain extent, to a certain extent, but it was still like being present, you know, having a presence at events. That's definitely part of it. And if you happen to be a speaker, that's a plus as well. Because you know, at the end of the day, if you just like in a booth, like people walk by, you know, they interact with you, they they get some swag. But like if you also are a speaker on stage, that is kind of a boost as well. So I would say that speaking was a fairly significant part of being a developer advocate, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think the the best part about being a developer advocate is the the fact that you get to go out and meet people and kind of because the nature of the job is that you do want to know how people feel like when they're using your APIs and things like that. When it comes to your experience as a developer, do you think it helped you becoming a better developer advocate? I think it definitely did because I also was lucky enough to work in a bunch of different industries. My 
idea of what a developer advocate is, is like you're someone who can bridge the gap between the people who are using the product and the people who are actually building the product. So we're kind of like that in between. You have to know enough on both sides to be able to, to communicate. Like you can't just get away with not being a developer. Again, what you mean? Like you have to be able to explain and to explain, you need to understand. Mm, 100%. Where can our listeners find you online if they want to look for you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, handle is HJ underscore C-H-E-N. Twitter is like where it's easiest to ping me. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is such a fun podcast. Like, everyone should be on this show. Hello. Subscribe. <laughs> Subscribe now. <laughs>